GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. I hope you're well. On the way, a story involving President George Bush, the father, the UK Foreign Office and the Spanish King in 1993. Jonathan Sacramento continues to look at newly declassified documents. We're also going to talk to Monique Grambo of MBS Wellbeing, which is a non-governmental organisation which is working with most schools. We'll be discussing what's on offer, the importance of self-care and how they're hoping their services might develop. But first, as we've been reporting, the Electricity Authority is working on a battery energy storage system for the power station. The announcement was made by Michael Caetano, the Gibraltar Electricity Chief Executive, and it prompted the GSD opposition to ask, why wasn't that part of the original plans for the power station? A question that today we put to the Minister for Utilities, Gemma Arias Vasquez. Uh, good afternoon, Ms. Arias Vasquez. Um, should then let me put the GSD question to you: Should this uninterrupted battery supply system have been part of the original design? Hi, Jonathan. Um, good afternoon, and thank you very much for having me here. Um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to respond to some of these issues. Um, if we look at, um, I've got a couple of very simple um, graphs and figures that show that actually battery projects, whilst they were in existence from 2010, which I think is the figure that Mr. Sacarello gave yesterday. Um, the price of the battery systems and the volume of space that they took up made it completely unfeasible for these battery systems to be used um, for power generation. In fact, if we think back to the election in 2011, um, there was a design and there was a very controversial issue re- uh, related to the power um, the, uh, the um, power station. And even in their own design, um, the GSD did not think of including such a system because it wasn't... Uh, workable at the time, so there there battery, are. To be fair, battery technology has been a big thing, no? With uh, electric vehicles and the rest of it, absolutely. Technology has progressed a lot in recent absolutely. years. Absolutely, and there are numerous graphs that show that the cost has been lowering um, since 2010. It's significantly lowered in 2020, and it's stabilised in 2020. In 2020, these technology has also become far more predictable, stable and and user-friendly. And therefore, now is the time to start looking at these projects and not when when the the battery systems were in their infancy. Okay, so um, Craig Saccarello said yesterday, he's the Shadow Minister for uh, Utilities at the GSD, he said that every Gibraltarian has suffered from the GSLP Liberals' lack of planning. So you're effectively saying that's an unfair accusation. This wasn't viable technology. I'm I'm saying that that's... (laughs) That's simply not the case. Um, the, the technology wasn't available in a viable form back in 2010. The costs would have been exuberant. And to prove the very point that I'm stating, in their own designs, such technology was not used. Um, the technology in 2020 was far too expensive for us to even consider it at that point in time. So so then the uh, the other point that he, he raised of, you know, how much has the alternative, the existing temporary diesel generators, how much have they cost and, and, and was that a, an appropriate cost? Um, you effectively are saying it's a moot point and that um, it, it was a necessary cost because there was no alternative. Absolutely. Remember that the power plant has been commissioning, has been, we've been trying to commission the power plant um, up until mid, the end of 2021. The commissioning of the power plant took longer than expected because of COVID. I know that you know we're often ac- accused of COVID being a resp- um, an excuse. However, 
Um, the reason that um, the commissioning was extended was because experts had to be flown in for commissioning of the power plant. And these experts, because of COVID, weren't able to be flown in. Therefore, it's a bit unfair to say that uh, you know, the, this, this power plant is, is failing Gibraltarians when, in fact, the commissioning period ended at the end of 2021. Um, and, in fact, if we look at statistics provided um, by, the, um, by the GEA, you can actually see that since the period of commissioning, there are significantly less power cuts. Um, so I've got the figures here for 2021, 2022 and 2023. And, for example, one of the things that Mr Sacanello said in his interview yesterday was that there had been over 30 power cuts in 2021. I'd like to tackle that figure because actually there were um, 10 power cuts in 2021, 10 power cuts more than I think anyone would have wanted. Um, but the the figure is 10 power cuts. These are widespread. These are widespread um, blackouts. Yeah. So yes, there might have been le there might have been smaller power cuts um, within Gibraltar, but those are not caused by the North Mill power station. Yeah. So um, power cuts that are caused by the North Mill power station are the uh, Gibraltar wide power cuts. And those 10 and, in 2021. There were 10 power cuts in 2021. Um, out of those 10, um, there is a total of five. Um, of five out of ten, so it's, it's half every year roughly, that are caused by the North Mill Power Station and the rest are grid issues or other issues. Oh, that okay. are, so we've actually got a breakdown year on year um, of the number of power cuts that there were that year and the reasoning for them. Now, to go to another point raised by uh, Mr Sacanello, sorry, I'm... I'm Asking and answering all the questions. Uh, no, it's okay. So, so just to, to make sure that we are up to speed, then uh, approximately, well, uh, 10 power cuts according to the Gibraltar Electricity Authority that were um, uh, power outages affecting most of Gibraltar in 2021. In 2021. Uh, that's the last year that these figures are available for? No, no. Just, I, I'm, just, uh, because just, he raised yes, that yes. year, didn't he? That's right. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and of those, half of them were to do with the distribution of electricity. So maybe a cable fault or maybe a contractor cutting through a cable. Right. that distributed the electricity across Gibraltar uh, and then the other five were to do with the new power station. That's right. Um, most of the power cuts, or in fact we think the majority of the power cuts that are because of the North Mill power station will be dealt with by the new BEST system. However, it has to be made clear that if there's a fault in the grid, the BEST system will not be able um, to to recover the system quick, um, quick enough for there not to be a power and, cut. And does that sort of 50-50 between um, uh, issues to do with the power station and and issues to do with the grid, um, does that continue across 22 and 23? Yeah, well, in 2023, it's exactly the same figure. So in 2023, we had eight power cuts, and of those eight power cuts, four were um, North Mill Power Station issues, and four were grid issues. So, so then this project stands to eliminate half it's, it's hopefully. Stand, I, I hate it. I, I would not want to stand here and give a guarantee. But if we look at the statistics, um, the it's envisaged, and, and our advice is that half the power cuts that we have would be eliminated by this best system. And again, this best system in its developed form, with it, which is now affordable um, and and technology which has developed sufficiently. So I was calling it a UPS for uninterrupted power supply. What, what does best stand for? Battery, oh, gosh, oh, battery energy system, maybe. Battery energy support. Okay. Okay. So, so I mean, really, it, it is like a big battery that uh, when when um, when the power generation has an issue, uh, the the draw can switch uh, can um, sort of seamlessly to the battery which has Absolutely. power ready to go Absolutely. out. Absolutely, and it's got an hour of. of um, power supply, which basically gives the gives the remember they've got six engines, so it gives another engine time to start up, so that there is a seamless power supply to Gibraltar.
Excellent. Okay, and um, we heard Michael Gaetano, the chief executive of the Gibraltar Electricity Authority, saying that he's hoping um, that there's a it'll be twelve months more or less for it to. Yes, and the reason that it's twelve months is because there's a huge supply for batteries worldwide, and not just these systems. Yeah, there's a there's a huge shortage of batteries worldwide, and therefore the time period to get this um, to get this uh, made for us will be a period of twelve months. Okay, um, that's very interesting. Um, anything else that you wanted to tell us about that system? Yeah, I just want well, I just wanted to raise a couple of other points that um, that uh, Mr. Sakaila raised yesterday. This information is publicly available information. So every single time there is a power cut, we we usually ask one of the management of the GEA to come on GBC or on or, um, on radio to explain what's happened the information might not be immediately available because they have to search out what it was that caused the fault um so one engine might be down whilst they do the investigation so it might not be 24 hours but there is always the information supplied as soon as the gea has that information available so all of the information that i've just given you that i have here is information which is made publicly available and for example there's a question in parliament which will be in the next few days on the reasoning for the different power cuts, which I am very pleased to provide Mr. Sagarello with. Sagarello also made a comment about um, us not allowing um, the um, the members of the opposition to access um, civil service departments. Actually, what happened is that Mr. Sagarello wrote to myself, I didn't know the policy, um, and the matter was forwarded eventually to the Chief Secretary, who wrote a letter at the time to, to determine, or the Chief Secretary's office, who wrote a letter to determine what government policy has always been in respect to this issue. So it's not a case of me... Which is, which is what? Which is that um, the um, opposition members are given an opportunity before an election to sit down with the civil servants to, to make sure that policies can be implemented. There's a period before a general election where that's allowed freely and openly, but usually opposition members aren't allowed to, to um, talk freely and openly to um, government departments as government departments. Obviously, outside, um, they can do what they wish. But there is a policy on that. And it's not that the way that it sounded was that we had said that um, it wasn't allowed. No, it, it, there's a policy on it which successive governments have... Have, have adhered to. Yes. Uh, so so what does exist then is is that ability to speak to them ahead of a general election, as is happening in the UK at the moment, as I understand it, uh, so that any promises made exactly. by political parties that have a serious chance of getting into government are viable. No? Exactly. So the civil service understand what the policies of the opposition are as well, so that we can address, so that they can be addressed by the civil service and ensure that they can put in, be put into action as soon as they get in. But again, that is government policy, um, not a policy that we determined. I think it's very important to get the facts out so far as the power cuts um, issue and as well as um, in relation to all these peripheral issues. Okay. Um, so we mentioned there sort of a general election and we're talking about power more generally. Um, in October, uh, in your manifesto, um, you, you talked about um, trying to install 17,000 square metres of solar panels on the Ministry of Defence estate to be able to generate two megawatts uh, of of power uh, in addition to the three megawatts of solar power that we already have in Gibraltar. Um, uh, can you tell us how that is progressing? That is advancing. Um, as you can imagine, I've, I've just been in office for just over three months. Um, that is an issue which is advancing. It's actually something which is very exciting. It's something that we need to progress. Um, we are already in discussions with the 
with the MOD as to how to progress this matter. We've had discussions with the CBF. Um, we've had discussions as to how the tender goes forward, etc. So everything is in train um, to occur. We just actually need to um, get the tender out now. And um, <coughs> forgive me, uh, I mean, if you can't answer it, you can't answer it, but I, I'm not sure if it's in the public domain yet where those solar panels would go. Is it the naval base or can't... Um, I wouldn't be not in a position to say at the moment, sorry. No, that's fine. Um, so there's, a, there's also looking through the uh, manifesto a commitment to set up a climate action fund uh, with a minimum of £2.5 million per year. Uh, how's that going and, and is, is that going to fund this um, 17,000 square metres of solar panels? That's a completely separate commitment to the solar panels. Um, but as, as you can imagine, the intricacies of the estimates book, etc., is something which I'm trying to get my head around. So at the moment, it's just about... Well, that commitment is there, obviously, and it's just about how exactly that commitment is going to be put in place. And um, more generally, uh, how, have, uh, how has your time in government been? Uh, you've obviously been a, an avid uh, follower and, and activist in local politics uh, for a number of years, but how has the transition been to sort of frontline uh, government minister work? Um, it's, I mean, it's fascinating, you know, as a, as a lawyer, you tend to take a back seat and accept instructions. So someone tells you where you're going and where you need, you know, and, and what the goal is. Whereas the difference is that now you're setting that goal yourself as well as working out how to get there, um, as well as dealing with the day-to-day -day issues on the way. Uh, so the, the transition has been, has been a big transition. It's been a big change um, in my life. But it's, it's very exciting, but it's also a lot of work. It's, um, it's a lot of work and there's a lot going on all the time. Uh, we were speaking to the um, housing minister, Patrol Fila, yesterday, uh, and she was sat where you're sat now, and she was saying that there effectively aren't enough hours in the day um, <laughs> to, to do all the things that she wants to do to, to try and um, deal with Gibraltar's housing challenges. Uh, you are here to talk to us today primarily about utilities because, um, uh, because of the uh, political exchange on that project, uh, the uh, UPS project, um, but you are also Minister for Health, Minister for the Poor, um, uh, you know, how are there enough hours in the day? How, how are you going about organising your your sort of day to day work? Well, I think pretty much the same as um, as my as my colleague Pat. It's exactly the same. There aren't enough hours in the day. I think our levels of enthusiasm are are there, and there's so many things that we want to get on with. There's so many things that we want to do um, that it's it's very difficult to to try and get everything off the ground at the speed that you want to see it happening. Also, it's um it's everything is everything is moving, everything is going, um, but you also you almost want to see everything done tomorrow, and things take time to plan and to do and to um, so it's it's um it's, there's a lot of work um, on a day to day basis. I'm sure. <laughs> um, we've got a question coming in from Dav, and, and it's uh, about um, your uh, responsibility for the port. Uh, there's a commitment to um, getting ships berthed to run on mains power and not have dirty diesel engines running close to residential areas. Uh, Dav is asking um, how those plans are progressing. Well, actually, it's something that uh, it's something that when when you look at all my portfolios, um, when I looked at all my portfolios, there were a lot of portfolios there. But this is actually one of the things that is really good because I can see the interaction between different um, different portfolios. So the utilities portfolio interacts very well with the port portfolio here um, to to put together a plan for the generation of shore power. Um, there are plans already in place. Place we're looking at other jurisdictions such as Malta. Malta has very good. Um, uh, coal dining facilities, which is how the shore power is generated. Um, they have very good um, coal dining facilities that we're going to go and have a look at um, and engage with them to see how we can make that a reality here in Gibraltar.
Excellent. So uh, there's a, a commitment, I believe, to, to have um, the announcement made on the commencement of works in the next nine months, I think, by the time a year has passed since the election. So you think you're, you're on track for that? Absolutely. Um, I think that um, I think that there's a lot of work to be done, but we know the direction that we're moving in. So I think there's there's other businesses that are doing the same thing in Gibraltar, so it's also about working with them to try and make that a reality. But yes, I do think we're on track for that. All right. Minister for the Port and for Utilities and also for Health, I'm sure uh, we'll have opportunity to, to, to um, ask you back, uh, Miss Arias Vasquez, to talk to you about health in the coming months. But thank you for joining us this afternoon. Thank you very much for having me, Jonathan. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. We're talking about MBS well-being in particular today. So if uh, your children or grandchildren have attended something put on by this NGO, then we'd love to know. Uh, what MBS well-being is a, a platform uh, that includes qualified coaches and professionals who offer holistic uh, training and programs for children and young people more generally. They work with most schools and set out to serve with love. It's a project that is the brainchild of Monique Grambo, who, who joins us this afternoon. Hello, Monique. Uh, so many people talking to me about MBS well-being, um, being a parent of young children as I am. Uh, a lot of my friends and, and, and my, my children's friends, uh, you know, ha have uh, some experience of MBS or, or, or know people who are going. Let's start at the beginning. How, how did it come about? Well, um, as a teacher, I, I developed a very deep interest in, in nurturing the well-being of the children I taught. Being a music teacher, I saw the 450 uh, more or less kids in, in the school and I thought, you know, I felt the need to give more. No? Um, music in itself is a very therapeutic tool. So I started by, by taking on a, a music therapy course, then went on to therapeutic art. EFT, NLP, mindfulness, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, a bit of energy medicine at that point, uh, sound healing. So I started bring, implementing these wonderful holistic tools into my lessons and also started creating clubs, lunchtime clubs, break time clubs to, to explore these, these modalities with the children. And seeing its, you know, the 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 effects it had, the impact it had, went beyond my expectation. They were super well received. Hmm? Unbelievable! I had about sixty children coming to to a session itself. That's why I started doing more days. Sixty children voluntarily, you know, and it was it was beautiful to witness. They, I think, they taught me so much more throughout that time than I taught them. I just provided that safe space, provided the tools facilitated and they taught me how you know how you know the the diversity that was there received it the the unique minds how, how each of them take it it was extremely inspiring to see and through that um it inspired me to to you know create a platform where not only the children i was seeing but every school or everyone you know welcoming this this opportunity for the children They'd, they'd be able to access it, make it accessible for everybody. I feel well-being is a tool for all of us. You know, it's not just for when we need it. It's not a tool for, for the vulnerable. You know, we are all vulnerable at some point in our lives. And these tools give us the resilience, give us the, the tools that we need, the techniques 
to sustain a happy and healthy life, which is what we all aim for. And there's a, a lot of focus in education, um, especially in primary schools, no, around resilience. Yes. Um, and, and it really came to the fore. And, and the idea of well-being also sort of really rose to prominence during the COVID-19 pandemic when those ideas were were already growing, but they seemed to take on extra importance. Absolutely. And I think that that gave, you know, like, like you just said, schools were already going above and beyond, you know, with, with well-being uh, initiatives and which was inspiring itself to see, you know, um, but the, like you say, the pandemic, I think, gave us the opportunity to explore beyond what what we were doing and and deepen you know the the awareness of well-being but also provide more make, make it more accessible uh you know making sure that we're nurturing every child as much as we can in this respect and and yeah give give them the tools now to overcome a lot of them were were affected by 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 the pandemic naturally and you know, it's been wonderful to see how these holistic tools work wonders, you know, in, in, in helping them overcome their so, difficulties. So M- MBS Wellbeing is a non-governmental organisation. You're set up as a charity. That's right. And you work with a lot of the primary schools, no? Primary or schools. And, and sec- and uh, we, we worked very, very closely to the to secondary schools last year, which was wonderful. We had over 60 children involved. Um, sadly, this year it's not happening, but we do have all the primary schools. Um, what we're doing, what we're trying to do, is opening up the opportunity for the for the teens, for the upper, for the high school students. Uh, we're working at it at the moment. We're just finding premises for it. Uh, funding, we're needing funding for to support that as well. Um, but yes, it's it's wonderful to collaborate. You know, we are a charity. We've been very well supported by the minister, by the Department of Education the schools in collaboration you know, to make this happen. Excellent. Uh, I think uh, the GBC Open Day also sort of made a donation, not MBS Wellbeing we last year. We were extremely grateful. The impact that, you know, the, the funding you guys gave went went beyond, again, beyond words because, it, you know, it, it's about witnessing the magic and it's very hard to capture that magic and that's, you know, the impact that, that it's having. But yes, we're very, very grateful for that. So what, what, where, where does the money go? It goes towards the children who who need sponsorship to be able to to you know join the programs. Uh, it's you know the, the money at the end of the day makes these programs sustainable. Um, it goes towards the children and families as well who who are being referred to us for a one to one. A lot of parents, a lot of schools. Uh, recommended to children who may need one-to-one or more focused attention for for well-being support. So we've provided over 120 just last year, um, and and you know it, it's just an expanding. We're expanding and developing the charity. We started with the schools. We've ended up supporting the children on a one-to-one, parents as well on a one-to-one. And as it has it right now, we're, we're also opening up our services and our support to the entire community. Uh, we run the Wellbeing Wednesdays voluntarily last year. It was an extreme success. A lot of people came. It's free holistic workshops, you know, providing tools, sharing mindsets, techniques, uh, you know, body health as well. Tai Chi, um, that sort of thing. Tai Chi, yoga, and a lot of, you know, a, a lot of, Mind empowerment, particularly, you know, you're using silent counseling, although it's a silent, it's very, very effective. It works on an energetic level, so energy medicine, 
bringing inno innovative practices and modalities to the community most of which hadn't you know people hadn't heard of which was wonderful because you know you're introducing them to something new and a lot of them really embarked on this journey with us every wednesday and and we're launching it again this february till till summer so very much looking forward to that Excellent. So if uh, somebody is listening to this and, they th and, and they're interested in finding out more, um, what's the best place to go? Your social media, your website? Our website has everything there. Um, uh, social media as well. We do try and share. There's a, there's, you know, there's a, we're very, very busy, but we do try and share every can, everything we can there. Uh, otherwise, we have a contact number as well. They can call, we can explain, especially if they want a bit more of a bespoke you know, attention or, or programme. Um, they can contact us. Yeah. Okay, we've got a question from Stephanie asking if MBS works with autistic children. We work with every, every, you know, every need, every type of child. We're all one. Yes, we do. What we do is, as as the needs come about, we we make it so you know we find the right coach we find the right resources to support the child so we work in a very bespoke manner it's not just a program we put out there we assess the needs of every child and then we bring into place all the resources and people we may need to support it and, and nurture the the individuals we have john says well done monique great work on the mbs well-being program thank you john for being in touch thank you and um before i let you go monique uh, very briefly because i only got a minute left i know as a parent that there were conversations about some of the offerings uh, that mbs well-being uh, had in different schools and mm -hmm. wondering um oh they've got this in saint joseph's but it's not available in our school uh, what would you say to to any parents who sort of are looking and thinking oh i hope they can do this in in my child's school i completely empathize i understand we do our very best to accommodate it's not just up to us it's up to the you know the spaces and the days we have you know offered by the school but if you do have that interest, please share it with us. We will do everything we can to accommodate. And it, it's one of the last things we have spoken about is the possibility of allowing different children from different schools to come to different schools, even though they're not in that one. So that should hopefully open up the door and facilitate that needs. So it sounds like there are growth opportunities Absolutely. for the coming months and <laughs> hopefully years for you. Um, Monique Grambo, thank you so much for coming in to tell us about MBS Wellbeing, which uh, by all accounts is, um, is going really well and um, long may that continue. Thank you very much. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. In the United Kingdom, the Public Records Act requires central government to identify records that have historical value and then transfer them for permanent preservation and safekeeping in the National Archives uh, by the time that these documents are 30 years old, though that time frame is now reducing to 20 years. And those documents are held at the National Archives in Kew in the beautiful, if expensive, London borough of Richmond-upon-Thames, uh, somewhere that our reporter Jonathan Sacramento has visited to review recently declassified documents that concern Gibraltar. Uh, now, now, today's story, Jonathan, involves President George Bush, the father, the UK Foreign Office, yes, and... Yes, George H.W. Bush. By the uh, way, just as an aside, 
it's quite hard to get to Richmond where all the trains go down. It's incredible. It, it was just, it was so unfortunate. The day that I was going to the National Archives, all the trains to Richmond went down. Anyway. That's just on a side. Yes, George H.W. Bush. <laughs> Take it for granted that you can walk, cycle or bus everywhere in Gibraltar. Absolutely, we're so lucky. Uh, yeah, the original uh, Mr. President Bush uh, gave uh, an indication that on his way from Morocco to Madrid, where he was meeting the King of Spain, Juan Carlos, uh, he expressed an interest in docking his private yacht in Gibraltar and... Uh, just uh, coming on board, uh, aboard, <laughs> ashore, coming ashore uh, at the rock for for a few hours, uh, and uh, and funnily enough, uh, obviously this uh, this had to involve a huge range of uh, security detail, as per all president <laughs> all movements. presidents, yeah. Uh, and he well, he was, it was a private visit, but you know when you're the president of the USA, you're never really. Private. And he, he was by then the retired president. No, but we well, always refer just, yeah, to him yeah, as yeah. president. But. Yeah, but well, I mean, bear in mind that this was, yes, he was uh, retired. Well, he hadn't really retired. He'd no, been, I mean, sorry, he's, he'd he lost no the election. Longer, yes. <laughs> he, he was still kind of the, well, I, I know they don't have a leader of the opposition over there, but he was the equivalent of that. So, um, so he he had lost the election and he was no longer president, but he was still an active politician. And we always uh, refer to them anyway as president. Uh, and they are they are always referred to as as presidents. Uh, anyway, so so, um, but yes, the first document I came across was a letter by uh, Sir John Chapel, the governor at the time, saying, "Guys, I mean, a heads up would have been nice." The, the, the year is nineteen ninety three. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, a heads up would have been nice. Uh, um, I've just found out uh, as a by the by from the police that the former president is coming to the rock. Um, shall we put some diplomatic arrangements in place as opposed to just security ones? You know, uh, shall we invite him to the convent? Shall, shall we perhaps get him to meet the chief minister? This, is, this had been arranged so quickly that no one had thoughts to inform the governor that this was happening. Um, but yes, in in a in a well, in just a, a, the space of just a few hours uh, or and days, it was all arranged, and and he came ashore, and uh, uh, the visit went really, really well. Uh, Gibraltar was crawling with Secret Service officers, uh, and at, at one point, one of the Foreign Office officials. Uh, exchanging letters saying maybe it was a little bit over the top there was secret service everywhere uh but yeah it was a visit that went quite well it took two or three hours they took him on a rock tour and and they had a little reception at the convent and he met the then chief minister joe bosano that's right yeah, yeah. Uh, and the governor and uh, i think i mean we've, we've dug out a, f a picture at the time that will We'll put up uh, in just a short space of time on, on our web. Uh, uh, I think the minister, Joe Pilcher, was there as well as, as part of the, the delegation. And um, and it must be interesting, looking back as, as you do now, sort of some uh, 30 years later, uh, yeah. to, to sort of get some insight into the Gibraltar of 1993. No? And it was, uh, it was the before uh, and the during and then the after, the documents also review the visit and what happened and one of the things that they mentioned at the time was you know the visit went really well but you know we, we could have cleared the streets of litter a little bit more you know a little <laughs> bit less the... dog poo maybe <laughs> yeah uh they were a little bit disappointed that um 
uh, that uh, the streets hadn't been cleaned efficiently enough for the walkthrough of the former president. Uh, but uh, another thing that happened was that barely uh, a few hours later, the president was in Madrid and he paid a visit to the then king, Juan Carlos, and the king expressed some disappointment that uh, en route to an official visit to the Spanish head of state, they'd stopped over at Gibraltar. And, and it was a sort of diplomatic protest, but it wasn't, it was like face to face. Obviously, all the Spanish press picked up on it and it, it became a thing. And then the Foreign Office was uh, looking at the diplomatic fallout, what to do, whether to say something, whether not to not say anything. And I believe that the words that they used to describe it was, uh, was an, an irritation, but like, certainly expected you know it's not surprising that that this should be happening so uh yeah there was a little bit of fallout uh, but uh I, and in fact one of the foreign office officials likened it to the incident where uh, the royal wedding had taken uh place and then the uh, the royal couple had come to gibraltar uh, and this had led to the King of Spain withdrawing from the official celebrations as in protest. So, so there was a comparison to, to that. It must be really interesting as well. Um, the Foreign Office don't give us a sort of daily um, commentary on, on, you know, their thinking. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, you, we, from time to time, we might hear from the governor, um, you know, who sort of, uh, you know, is in charge of the convent and, and has uh, Foreign Office staff working with him. But um, this, I suppose, gives you a, a really interesting insight into the conversations mm. that they have around political events, which normally happen behind closed doors, but now we get a little bit of a flavour of. Well, funnily enough, uh, I mean, here's, a, here's a, a visual. Uh, outside the National Archives, there's a big lake. And on that lake, there are some swans swimming around all the time. And I think of diplomatic movements as a bit of a swan because on the top of the surface you see a graceful creature slide uh, <laughs> swimming by uh, and all you see is the top half but if you were to look under the surface and see those legs paddling furiously uh, it would give you an idea of how uh, diplomacy works it's all uh, about what's going on under the, th the surface and those legs paddling furiously Brilliant. Well, uh, we look forward to, to watching uh, your report on uh, this recently declassified uh, paper by the Foreign Office or papers. Uh, thank you for giving us uh, that insight, Jonathan Sacramento. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar Today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.